Blog Talk Radio. everyone. Welcome to True Radio Presents, the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. I had to, uh, whoo, I had to run four blocks. And uh, for someone with asthma, that's not a good thing. So 
I want to thank everybody well, for tuning in. Oh my gosh, Leticia, said, you have no idea. Well, for you, I said this isn't going to turn out well for you. <laughs> it it will. So, Leticia, if you if you could give us kind of a little rolling commentary on what's going on down there in St. Louis while I catch my breath. Uh, take 10 or 15 minutes, my friend. Take 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, we, we had, if you had, I, most of the country's already heard by now that we had a, a terrible incident involving the police and the death of an 18-year-old uh, African-American black boy um, in, in Ferguson, St. Louis. And that's about, I would say, about 9 or 10 miles away from my home. So it's in a different part of town from where I live, but you know, it's it's being felt everywhere. I think people are kind of shocked because of the age of the the young man that was killed, and I I sympathize with the family. I would not want to lose my son at any age, but especially when he's still a teenager and he's beginning to uh, go off on life on his own and he hasn't seemingly had had any trouble with uh, police before at all. Now, however, everybody has known that it doesn't justify the rioting and the looting that goes on, but uh, but today is a brand new day, and people have had to pick up after the looters and the rioters. And so the story continuing with this is that the community itself in Ferguson, Missouri, which is a suburb, a township in St. Louis, is beginning to clean up. The people of that community have gotten out their brooms and their dustpans and their garbage bags and their work gloves, gotten on their hands and knees, picked up glass, swept up debris, picked up garbage, cleaning up. And who are they cleaning up after? The looters and the rioters that largely we found out didn't even come from that area. Now, we had people claiming to be a part of that community. Those that were arrested were all found to be not of the community. I want to make this very clear. There is a huge divide between what is properly St. Louis City and all the townships that surround St. Louis City that make up the St. Louis metro area. People that are not from St. Louis City don't say, I'm from St. Louis City. Let me tell you, people that are from St. Louis City proudly announce the fact that they are from the city and not from somewhere else. That's just the culture that has grown up around St. Louis. Now come to find out that all the riders and looters that came from somewhere else are just opportunists, troublemakers who wanted to cause damage and violence and, and up, upstage a First Amendment protest of, that was legitimately held because of the death. We will get to the part about the death in a bit. Uh, mostly unclear, so I can't say very much about it. I know just about as much as anybody else. But right. for those that are demanding justice and peace, when they're the ones creating injustice and destroying the peace, is hypocritical to say the least, and I don't really have to mention that. But the real members of the community, like I said, do all the hard work. They did all the cleanup, as they always do. 
Ain't nobody that was rioting the night before showed up the next day to clean up their own mess. Ain't nobody came back and say, I'm going to help those businesses that felt threatened by the looters and the rioters and the rock throwers and the glass breakers to feel secure again and to carry on with business because they ain't done nothing wrong. Right. Now, it turns out, this morning, the police who had said they were going to release the name of the officer who did the shooting decided not to release the name. Now, they were required by law to release the name, but they got an injunction to seal that information. I'm sure that and made a ton of people upset. Right. But why did they do that? Because they were afraid that the police officer would get uh, his life threatened and some criminals were going to show up at his home, uh, hurt his family, all that stuff. They still have to protect a, a, a man until he's prosecuted for whatever wrongdoing that he did, if he did anything wrong. Now right. the family... The family of Mike Brown has to go to court to get the name of the police officer released to them. So what I say, super job, looters. You just made a mourning family have to suffer that much more because of your misdeeds. You didn't help anybody. You made it worse. Thanks a lot. The family of Mike right. Brown thanks you from the bottom of their rear ends, they thank you. Right. And you know, Letitia, it is very important that this distinction be made. Ferguson is a town that actually had a good reputation for um, for being, uh, you know, a tight-knit community. While, yes, this community is 67% black, the folks in the town knew how to act, treat each other with respect, respecting their neighbors, etc. But then you have individuals who came in from the outside, and then you had talking heads who wanted to start to put, uh, they wanted to start just offering opinions about the town itself based on individuals who did not even live there. So it is important for everyone that is listening to understand that these individuals, the townspeople, they actually protected their town in one instance where they went, got the keys to one of the stores, and took the merchandise home for the night and brought it back the next day. Now, that's a community. And as we get on... As we get into our interview with Ms. Starr, I'm going to ha- ask her to weigh in on this because she, because of where she's from, and she'll get into a little bit of that. But, you know, her organization that she started, and I'm using this as a segue into bringing her on, her organization that she started was geared to you know, reach out to the very individuals who were the looters and show them, hey, you know, there is a better way. You can be anything you want to be if you're willing to work hard. Because I can tell you, 
having had the opportunity to um, meet Star in person and to view her story. I'm ashamed to say that I haven't read Uncle Sam's Plantation yet, but I'll get to it. (laughs) But this is a woman who um, went through a lot of adversity in her life. And when she got tired of being sick and tired, she reached out to the one true source of answers, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She got tired of being where she was, and she did something about it. She She's not pretentious. What you see is what you get with Star. But one thing that I can say about her, having, made, having had the pleasure of meeting her, is that she genuinely loves this nation and she cares about the well-being of her community. So please join the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed. And please join me, everyone, in welcoming this woman of God to the Visible Conservative. Star, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Very good to be with you and very good to get an update out of the St. Louis area. My son-in-law is from St. Louis. I've never lived there myself. I did spend some time in East St. Louis and got lost there um, (laughs) and began my journey to believing the lie of the left, that my problems were someone else's fault, that Mm. um, America was inherently racist, that I was poor because the wealthy were wealthy. I believe that lie of the left and got engaged in even criminal activity like we're hearing today. I can really identify with those that are just out there trying to rebel to make some sense out of the reality that they live in, that their political class and their uh, pop culture class has lied to them, that um, this is external. Um, You can't do anything about it. So the only opportunities you have are to unleash your anger. That said, after a Christian conversion, as you mentioned, I changed my life. I adopted a worldview that's consistent with the Bible and began a journey into health, into freedom, into personal responsibility. After going through the Los Angeles riots uh, with my business uh, being destroyed as a result, I began to focus on social reform. That's what you'll find that story in Uncle Sam's plantation, in working In social reform, I began to consult on federal welfare reform, and then as a result, it landed me where I am today, running the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, urbancure.org. Now, regarding this particular incident, I have not been following the story, and to weigh in on the specifics of it, I look at as an outsider uh, what King Solomon said, that to get involved in someone else's mess is like taking a dog by its ears. So I refuse to do that because you'll never be able to let go. But I do understand uh, the challenge that was just discussed, that we have now sold this idea of the perception of racism to the degree that people are very fearful when they see any and every incident, they they respond out of emotion, and the next thing you know, cities burn down, and including outsiders coming in to just unleash that anger. So we have to think about the deeper situations here. 
Number one, we have to look at what does this mean nationally. I run a national think tank. And when you have a particular community of people who this happens on a regular basis to to where police, for whatever reason, feel that they uh, have an opportunity to go in and then someone ends up dead, what we have to do is take one step back and say, if you have a community of people in a free society that believe that they do not get justice on a local level, now, whether it's perceived or whether it's real is not the question we're going to address right now. We're going to say if they believe that they are not secure in their person and their property on a local level, then they're going to appeal to big government. So people that are saying, well, why does the black community always vote for the left? Because they're going to appeal to the national when they do not perceive that on a local level uh, they get justice. Uh, and that not social justice, just justice. Uh, they're not secure in their personal property. This is not the first time we've seen these incidents rise up to the occasion for the demagoguery and the, and the, and the uh, race baiters come in and incite activity. We saw it in 92. We saw it after Trayvon. We saw it uh, when um, uh, even Louis Gates couldn't even t- convince the police that that was his property, that they still felt that they needed to violate his Fourth Amendment right and go into his property, um, blacks are suspicious. And in particular, when you uh, have constantly uh, people on the left fueling these types of energies, uh, it is clear in data that the African-American community does not feel secure in their personal property. So I'm hoping that even after this incident, when the dust settles and we get down to the fundamentals, if we are going to change the course of this country, which needs to be changed away from entitlement, a secular socialist environment, a government-dependent environment toward one of health, then we're going to have to address this fundamental um, concern of the African-American community that they are not secure in their person and or their property. And every time a teenager is killed, uh, that reiterates that concern. Uh, it, It focuses on that concern. And hopefully, rather than the last time over Trayvon Martin where everyone just tried to change the discussion to, well, more black kill blacks, which was fascinating because, you know, when you look at all crime, it's against somebody you knew, so more whites kill whites too. Um, If we get down to there is something going on here that we need to address uh, if we're going to really, as a country, heal ourselves on racial matters and or reduce the size and scope of government, then we've got to get down to the fundamentals of how to police police communities that are frankly out of control. How do we police communities to where they bought the lie of the left? And I think that that's more fundamental to the discussions as we go forward. Right. And Star, Leticia has a question that she would like to ask you. Go ahead, Leticia. I think she's still there. Well, really, I had myself muted. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I, you talked about um, the change, and you touched on this just a minute ago, the change of, in your mind after becoming a believer in Jesus Christ and, and changing your spec- perspective, and what will it take for more people to realize the programming of the left in the, dis- the dependence on government and the big government and the jealousy of the rich and this racial animus that is being fostered just to get well, their vote? Well, I'm one that... Well, I'm one that believes we need to uh, work through the churches and change the dialogue. That's why it's central to some of the uh, opportunities we have at Cure, the group I run, uh, urbancure.org, out of Washington. You're absolutely right. We have to start changing the mindset to move toward freedom, to move toward 
um, an environment to where we do not have aggressive government. We're going to have to start dismantling the welfare state. So when you think about now, how is that done? Well, there are some fundamentals that we need to address, including in the St. Louis area. We've talked for years about giving opportunity for money to follow children to whatever school the parent wants, including religious schools. When you're looking at where we are today, to where most of the homes are single-headed households, the society in itself has a vested interest in making sure that those children grow up in, uh, through their school life in environments to where they learned a social structure. They learn a moral code. They get a moral framework so that they understand private property and ownership and how to control their anger. So that you have to do through public policy, and that's something the state of Missouri needs to address. They've tried many a times to get school choice initiatives in St. Louis and in Kansas City and, and have failed, uh, and they've failed. Uh, over and over because, of course, we're going to have the political class, the Democrats, against those initiatives because the unions are just not going to have those children go free. But if there was energy from the right, then yes, these types of opportunities will not uh, continue to wreak havoc over, as you mentioned, settled communities that are not uh, there. They're just quiet communities that then they have these challenges, and you're like, wow, what do we need to do? Well, what we need to do is start thinking through school policy so that people will understand a moral framework. We've already scrubbed our public schools of any type of um, morality, if you will. We've scrubbed it from any relationship with God. So we need the religious community to educate children that are coming from these single-headed households. One of the things we found out after the 1992 Los Angeles riots, which got me involved, this is the 92 riots, but got me involved in social reform, is that when the dust settled, it wasn't about black and white. It was about single uh, children growing up in single-headed households as opposed to those growing up in marital households. So we have to address that question. And there are so many now in society that think that they can separate the moral issues from the economic issues, and therefore you're going to continue to have these types of challenges every time uh, a policeman gets trigger-happy and or, uh, you know, we, you, you, you run into a dilemma to where people are not, uh, feeling that security in their person or their property on a local level. Right. Star, I want, um, just for a minute, I'd like for you to actually go back to the very beginning because one of the things um, that you are very strong on, and I must say this is what endeared me to you, was your stance on pro-life, your pro-life stance. And I don't know if if you've ever heard a little bit of my story, but I am a survivor of a tubal pregnancy. And, you know, my mom, even through that, refused to abort me. And then there were some other things that was done to me as a result of my mom making that choice. But I, I would like for you to just share briefly about your journey from where you was to your strong and firm stance as a, basically as a warrior for babies? Well, I'm glad you asked because people will try to separate out the discussion that we have on Mm pro-life from the rest of the political discussions and policy discussions, our public square, if you will, where our lives touch. And yet it's fundamental. If there is not a respect for life, if we do not protect the most innocent in our and I'm missed. 56 million dead in 40 years should get everybody great pause. 
but the fact that we can't even have this public discussion and build out a nation of people that say, uh, as Survivor says in their new motto, not just to make abortion illegal, but to make it unthinkable, then yes, you're going to have this disrespect. Yes, young people that are brought up in impoverished communities are prey for the left to convince them that there's no worth and value in their existence. So, of course, by the time they're five-year-olds, they're lost. They, 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 at two, they look at their home and they know the commitment is not important. They, at five, they go out into their community and they see the tragedy of the commons. It's not owned, so it's not worth keeping. It, it, no one owns it, so no one is taking care of it. Then they go in these festivals we call schools, and they learn more relativism and secular humanism. Yes, I personally got caught up in that. You're absolutely right. And it wasn't until after the fourth time that I went into one of their so-called safe, legal, rare clinics that I had a gut instinct way down deep inside that maybe the feminists aren't right on this one. Margaret Sanger developing our Planned Parenthood specifically targets the black community, the Latino, the impoverished community. I just two days ago left Santa Fe, New Mexico, where they're just salivating on trying to control the populations of the natives. Um, and people think, well, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, I'm just going to pretend because otherwise they might end up, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When you fundamentally cannot understand that any and every child is sacred in the eyes of God, and if conception produces, uh, then we're going to, uh, we have a dilemma. We're going to have a baby around. And in a society that thinks that we should not have babies, then is it any wonder that there now is not value on this young man who is only, it sounds like, crime against our society is that he was just in the wrong place, wrong time, and wrong color. So, yeah, pro-life is at the core of what is wrong in this society because not enough Americans agree with pro-life. They think there's no value to humanity, and as long as abortion is in our midst, then we're going to have this type of of aggression against those that are born. It's a lie for us not to be able to even defund Planned Parenthood, who gets, they're the largest abortion uh, provider in the country. They kill over 300,000 thousand children every single year they are a billion dollar organization for them to get 500 million tax dollars every year and we can't seem to stop them that means that american people are saying well we don't really care and the american people don't really care then in little quiet communities like this one you have this type of chaos that then everyone's scratching their head and said what happened and then wondering well how come these gangsters don't come back and clean up the community no they're not coming back they're lost people because they've heard that lie all their lives and have never heard an alternative. Yes, absolutely. Hey, Star, I got a couple of questions from, for a couple of people for you. Um, they both work together, and they're out of the Chicago, um, greater Chicago area. It's Babette Holder and her friend Raquel. Let me bring them on real quick. Hey, Babette and Raquel, you guys there? Yes, hi, Thomas. Hey, hi, girlfriend. Star. What's up, going <laughs> Hey, Star I haven't seen you all since that. Hey, my friends in Washington, D.C., girl power. <laughs> I can hear you guys are really still out there activating, stirring up, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, out here. And Raquel Mitchell's on the line, too. She's one of my fellow, our fellow black conservative activists, pro-life, and an elected official herself out here with the RNC. So um, I just wanted to call and start. 
I know you stay on top of everything, and I don't know how you do it with your busy schedule, but what are your thoughts, if any, on this IRS and the SS, what is it, the Freedom from Religious um, Foundation, which is the atheist group, and they had made an agreement. There was a lawsuit. They said that the IRS does not um, basically police the churches as far as they, what they're preaching from the pulpit and with activist groups and elected officials. Well, I I can't claim that I can stay up on top of every single issue, and, and thank you for that, because now we're putting out fires absolutely everywhere. And you know that I come from that perspective, that instead of putting out every single fire that the left ignites because they are coming after the church, you're absolutely right about that, and they will use any and every institution because they've taken over any and every institution over the last 50 years that they are going to light as many fires as they can every opportunity they get to keep us in a world of confusion. I am one that says, forget the fires, let's take away the matches. If you take away the matches, then you're going to have to start thinking outside of the box and instead of being on defense, get on offense. What what are some of the offensive things that we can do against the IRS? Well, one thing that we can do against the IRS is that we can dismantle it. Well, how do you do that? Well, there are a couple of concepts that have been on the table for a long time and actually one circulated in the Congress right now for a consumption tax a fair tax, let's change the tax code so that people can live free, so that with this unconstitutional IRS um, takeover uh, to force people into an income tax environment to where now they can select winners and losers stops in its tracks. So you will hear a lot more about the flat consumption tax, and I would suggest that people start thinking about that. You know, to change the subject just a little bit, but on the same point, you have a lot of people putting out the fire of Common Core. You want to get Common, you want to get Common Core, then go after the Department of Education. Dismantle it. The federal government has no business in the education anyway. So I think to answer your question, Babbitt, is we have to start focusing our energies. We have to start strategically thinking about how to get the matches, not just putting out a hundred different fires. I agree because it seems like they stand the same. We're playing fire, fire, putting out the fire, but we're spraying at the top and not at the, the base, the root of the not fire. Not at the root of the fire, absolutely. And we're spraying, we have, we're limited water, so we're spraying a one fire over here, one over there, one over there, and honey, there's not even enough of us to go around. When you start thinking about how few uh, those that are, would even step out into activism, it's not a first time. And when you look at even people like Harriet Tubman and says, well, I'm going to do something about this myself and, and begin to... Uh, you know, move through in her circle to get people into the underground, which was already an existing program, uh, well-funded program, uh, you know, you have to do what you can in your space. Mother Teresa said, look, I picked up one. I can't solve all of the problems. So I picked up one, and 42,000 later, I only saw one individual. So, yes, we have to say, what is our space? What can we do in that arena where we're working? But on this area of fire, uh, divide and conquer is a great strategy of the left. Let them put out this. Now we'll light one over here. Now we'll go over here. Now we'll go. We have to begin to think strategically about how do we build a civil society rooted in a Judeo-Christian heritage that demands of people to be responsible with their choices and to take care of those choices. So, um, yeah, the, on, the, on the IRS, the, it's, it, from what we're knowing more and more, Every single day, this is a good time to have a discussion about whether they should even be in existence or should we move to a consumption tax. 
You want to equalize the playing field, especially when it comes to, um, you know, what they're telling us that we have a unhealthy, um, unequal balance because, uh, you know, financially um, and income inequality. Well, you want to get rid of that overnight? Then get a consumption tax. You buy a yacht, you pay a tax. You buy milk, it's smaller. Right. Now, I uh, now star. You guys, I'm actually a fair taxer too. So, <laughs> so yeah, I encourage taxes, you all to take yeah, the absolutely. And it's gaining momentum. This is the time. So you know, I tell people often, politics is like mud wrestling. The conflict is for the crowd because they, at the end of the day, are in the same business. Their children grow up together. Now, think about your environment and your children growing up with their classmates, their parents become your friends. You're hunting with them. You're camping with them. You're boating with them. You're everything in with them. You're churching with them. Well, that's Washington and politics. But policy making, what we're talking about now in the flat tax consumption tax discussion, which way do we go because we all know the progressive tax of the IRS is corrupt, that's policy making. And on policy making, it's more like baseball. And you only... It seems boring at times. You yourself individually better be honed in your skill. I'm having this discussion with my eight-year-old grandson right now because, you know, he's off onto this luck tangent because when they're playing sports at that age, they think, God, they were lucky. No, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So policymaking is prepare, prepare, prepare because at a certain point you're getting up to the bat and you better be ready. In policymaking on this particular area, we're getting very close to getting up for that. There is actually a piece of bill in both houses, in the Senate and in the House, to move forth an opportunity to dismantle the IRS and move to a consumption tax. So that's where most people's energy should be, to make sure that while we now have a spotlight on the IRS, most people are saying, what do I do when they come for me? Uh, we can. We're up. We're getting close to the bat. We're getting ready to say it's our turn. And I tell you, you strike out, it could be another twenty years. It could be another ten right. years. And my issue, is Social Security. I mean, we're finally getting close to the bat again. Fourteen years later. So I mean, you know, it was like, oh my goodness. So yes, preparation. And if you're for that flat tax, then what you need to do now is, in the end, every commentary you do should be on that one issue. Not off on these other fires. Go with the ones that we know are getting close to their turn to get up to the bat. That's it. Stay focused, narrow it down, quit trying to, you know, spread yourself thin. We can't solve it all. We can't do it all at the same time, nor does policy move that way. It just doesn't. You know, no need to talking about something that they're not doing today because at the end of the day, where our lives touch is in law, and in right. law, those policy makers making our law, we better be at that table. And when that clock turns around, you know, you mentioned earlier about the abortion issue. You when um when when Texas saw after Gosnell a window of opportunity to get to the bat and do something to limit the slaughter of the innocent, they took it. They're in court now, but they took that opportunity. So on life, we have two opportunities. We need to make sure that Texas has the support they need to get through the court system to say it may be legal, but it's not lawful in God's eyes, and we're going to do everything we can to stop the left from slaughtering the innocent, especially as they target the most vulnerable, the most innocent, and the most impoverished. But number two, 
we have an opportunity in Washington, D.C., and my group is actually at the lead chair of trying to get penalties in the Born Alive Infants Protection Act. The Born Alive Infants Protection Act was passed in 2002, signed into law, voice vote by even people like Hillary Clinton and, and, and Harry Reid himself, who said that if a baby is born alive, you can't kill it. But because it's not comfortable for them to uh, push back their left and the people that worship um, and, and have a sacrament of the, uh, from the blood of the innocent, uh, there's no penalty in it. If you do it, well, well, that's why Gosnell wasn't afraid to do it, and neither are all the rest of the late-term abortionists that are in this country just maiming and murdering and molesting women throughout all of these late-term abortion clinics. But what do we need to do? We need to take this opportunity in a post-Gosnell environment, getting caught in Pennsylvania, slaughtering innocent, freezers full of dead bodies and body parts. We need to take this opportunity to get penalties in that law and get whistleblower language for those that work in those clinics because what we find in abortion arena is that the people that they prey on to work in these clinics are the most vulnerable they're the ones that are from the gutter of life they just are lost people they get in those environments and the next thing you know they are 14 year olds doing abortions which is what happened up there in gosnell's clinic and every photo we had coming out of that Philadelphia Doctors Clinic was from a worker, a staffer, who tried to tell the state, who tried to tell the authorities, and they had nowhere to go. We need federal penalties. That's what we have to start doing is thinking strategically based on the the policy-making calendar, if you will, and and, and put it in the perspective of baseball uh, as opposed to mud wrestling, uh, which is what the political class do. Now, right. Star, this is this is Raquel, by the way. And what what I wanted to say is that I am as jazzed about um, you know protecting the lives of the unborn as you know you and Babette and some others are. And uh, one thing I, I do see is uh, some positive uh, some positive flow towards uh, states recognizing that uh, at least those who those abortion clinics that are run get uh, have access to. Uh, Healthcare or have access to emergency room in, in nearby right. hospitals, mm-hmm. and they're getting shut right, down. Right, right. So I'm, yeah. I look at that and, I, and I'm very positive. You know, very positive. Okay, that's a step in the right direction. At least step in the right uh, direction. Someone, absolutely. right? Someone somewhere along the line is being uh, is being reasonable. Before you know, you would mention that, and the very thought of that would mean that well, that the right is trying to suppress the rights of women by asking those clinics to have access to hospitals. One of the uh, one one thing that I've heard, and this I don't understand why this is such a difficult concept for even some uh, some of those who call themselves um, conservative. And and uh, one of the things that I see is you know that oh why are you guys so on Planned Parenthood? They're never going to get rid of Roe v. Wade. Um, what do you and oh and why why do you look towards Planned Parenthood? They don't they don't do any abortions. Uh, I've heard that too, by the way, from a conservative. Well, well I, even Planned Parenthood admits that they do abortion, so that, well, who are, that conservative is just ignorant. But if you're asking the question, why do you hear, and I would not necessarily put a person who's pro-death in the category of conservative. They may be Republican oh, I, I'm sorry, and, and they may be on the right. Well, we need to talk, call them. I mean, some people call them libertarians. I'm, I'm now calling them totalitarians because that's what they really are. Amen. But if you're asking why they believe that, is because in the utopian world they want, some of the liberals, you really can't have what they call the unfit. 
you know, if you are libertarian-minded, you're about the survival of the fittest. So when you have mm-hmm. this vulnerable, poor um, class of people that are active sexually because they live more of the day than they do for tomorrow because tomorrow looks unfruitful for them, so they're going to enjoy life in the moment. Uh, they're having a whole bunch of babies. They think the answer is to uh, just kill their offspring. I was just with some folks that uh, part of the Republican Party that one of them looked me in my face and said, well, you know, maybe we should um, have voluntary sterilization. I looked her straight back in her eye and said, you know, we already have voluntary sterilization. Anybody that wants to sterilize themselves has that opportunity in their private sphere to talk to their doctor about. But what you're really saying is you want to force sterilization. So I would probably, we were in the native area, and I, you know, American and Indian, and I said, so I'd rather you just straight out say it, and I'd rather you guys all start straight out saying, yes, we really want to control the population. We really do want the undesirables not to have their children, because then we can have an honest discussion, and those that are most vulnerable that keep voting for the left will hear them finally say out of their mouth that the reason that we're so adamant to promote choice is because we really do not want you to have children. That's why every single time an African country gets to the bubbling point to where they might be significant, we go in there and kill their offspring and sell them this idea of limiting your birth, like what Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are doing now in Africa. That's why as soon as Haiti had its challenges, the first people that tried to get in there were those pro-choices who wanted to control their population so that they can kill them off, get them to numbers that they can control to do their bidding to make sure that all they do is fan them when they're vacationing and, and, and serve them when they're vacationing. But please do not have too many children. Let's make them be honest. That's the answer. Make them be honest. That seems to be the theme of most um, communist uh, countries and most uh, most uh, uh, regions, where there's a you know there's a despot somewhere or some totalitarian dictator there uh, controlling the population seems to be kind of the theme in somewhere or another, except it, except in Latin America. But yeah, uh, at least they're honest. But, at least they're honest. Hey, in China, at least they yeah. say no, you're not having more than one baby. So now, if the people in China want to revolt against that, they can. At least they're honest. In this country, they force taxpayers to participate, and they sell it off as this, this wonderful concept that we just really want women to have choices. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how, how do we yes, how do we get people, how do we get the women off? How do we get women off? And one of the things that Beth and I have been talking about is, uh, and we and we've been trying to uh, get you know get a movement started on this is this whole war on women by the left. And how do we how do we get women, especially Republican women, get sucked into this too? Babette talks about it all the time. Uh, women get sucked into equating our our womanhood, our womanness, with um, with care with birth control pills with you know with abortions this means this makes me a woman because I'm able to get an abortion or because I'm able to take the pill somehow you're suppressing my right by asking me to pay right. for these things you want to know how you do it uh, to private these things. what do we do you go into the community that is more likely to buy your product it's a salesmanship 101 you're not going to try to sell pork in a kosher neighborhood. You're certainly not going to try to sell birth control in a Mormon community. So if you're talking about the black community specifically who's hit hardest by the, 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 the lure of the left, they're, they're – These they're, are suburban white women too, by the way. Wait, it's no, no, wait. Just, well, let, me, let, me, okay. let me finish. I'm sorry. So those hit hardest, you go to, their, to the community that is more open to you. So what you want to do if you're looking at how do we do it, then the strategy is you bring, you have a forum with pastors' wives because they are post-abortive. 
They know people that have posted one. You show them a video called Hard Truth. You pass out tissue. You show them the video Hard Truth. And then you open up with a discussion. You bring in people like Alveda, myself, Catherine Davis, um, Ryan Bomber, and then you explain to this small, very, very intimate group of only their wives, no other women involved, because they're not going to uncover themselves in front of their congregations. And you allow them an opportunity to heal. You introduce them then to their local crisis pregnancy center, which you want there too, to make sure that they know that there's help for you. You introduce them to um, survivors. You introduce for their youth. You introduce them to silent no more so that they know that they can come out and, 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 not, and, 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 and address this. Uh, area of their lives that is the secret sin that only between them and God you allow them opportunity to heal. And once they then do that, then they will bring in the next year, which will be the ladies that are in charge of their church. And those ladies then will get healed. And then once they're all healed, then the congregation will be able to get a message from a healed vessel who says, guys, look. But see, we've tried to do it shortcut. What we do is say to the pastor, hey, you need to have a sermon on pro-life. So the pastor then tries to have a sermon on pro-life, and his wife is sitting there uncovered because if she didn't have an abortion, her sister did, but she didn't tell him because she knew it was under the grace and mercy of the Lord, because, and it was before they got married. And now she's sitting there in her $2,000 dress with all of her congregation behind her trying to beat back the tears, <laughs> deal with the emotion in her heart in front of everybody because somebody thought it was so important to talk her pastor into being pro-life, that means a sermon. So, yeah, if you really want to heal it, that's the strategy. Get her and a couple of her ladies to a tea and say, you know, wow. let me tell you my story. And let me tell you why it's important that we get this done. Because now it's not just about all of us individuals. Keep in mind, when you're talking about 56 million dead babies, you're talking about 30 million women. Mm. And when you're talking about 30 million women... You're talking about 30 million households, grandmoms. So now that number could be 150 million. That's half the country. This is not a technical question. This is a heart question. This is, I'm touched by this. So we have to change our strategy. Do we still fight for pro-life leaders and work in law? Yes, absolutely. We don't want this legal because it's unlawful in God's eyes. But if you're talking about on an individual level how you help, then call a very, very small session together with some of the pastor's wives that you know that if you can reach them, that you know love the Lord, and you get them in a private setting and you show them hard truth. It's a video from the Center for, um, what is it called, Um, Bioethics, Uh, Greg Cunningham's group. My 57-year-old mind has to go back to that day. Um, get hard truth. Not my alpha. My alpha's good, but get hard truth. Get them healed. Okay. This is not we'll about the technical. Wow. This is about personal. All right. Hey, Star, this is Thomas. Um, I wanted to jump in for a minute because um, when you were talking about the story about the forced sterilization, I... Um, when my mom refused to abort me, uh, bless her, bless her, through, bless her. Go ahead. She, uh, no, no, I appreciate that, and I'm. I just want the Lord to bless her, bless her. If she's still on this side of eternity, 
Yes, she yes Mother she Lord, is. Mother Lord, bless and her. Bless her right now, Lord. Just bless her for the fruit of her womb that is now doing this amazing thing for our society. But go ahead now, what were you saying? I just wanted to send a prayer for her. I appreciate that. Six months old, I was put in um, foster care. And the reason being was because my mom refused to sign the papers allowing them to surgically sterilize me. So they took mm-hmm. me away, put me, in, put me in foster care, and did it anyway. Ah, so see? Mm. I'm one of two people who's on this call. The other one person you know as well, Elaine Riddick, is listening in as well. And, um, you know, I just... For me, it's kind of it's kind of hard because when I think about not being able to have kids, and I think about how my life personally has transpired, because I went, I went, I grew up in foster care. I went through some very, very rough things. You know, what I didn't do though, because of my circumstances, I did not allow, I did not allow what I went through to cause me to lash out, rob, kill, steal, anything like that. I was actually afraid of people. I was afraid of what I could potentially do. So I withdrew. And now, in this day and age, I look at um, I look at your message. I look at many others, and, and especially as black conservatives, Babette, Raquel, many, many others who, who are – who have such a passion for our community. And That's right. Who are giving back. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we have I, to, you're doing it, brother. You're doing the, 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 Mother Teresa is my hero. In fact, here in my home in California, I work in D.C., but I live in California. I get here every now and then. And across my bed is Mother Teresa because she didn't birth oh. children, but she birthed children. She birthed generations because what you've been able to do and what I've talked to women in these housing projects across this country about is your fate is not your destiny. The set of circumstances that you were born into do not realize your future. God said to us that he has a plan for us. He has already defined that plan for us to give us a future and a hope. He's written it out. What we have to do on this question of abortion is let them live. For someone else to decide that they're unworthy, I mean, just the fact that Planned Parenthood gets away with saying they're unwanted and unplanned, God planned them. We would not have had Steve Jobs if abortion were legal when his mother got pregnant. We would not have Bate Hood if abortion were legal and his mother, when his mother was pregnant. So what we have to do is what the Scripture tells us to do. When God seems hidden, we reach deeper for him. And, Thomas, that's what I think that you've done. That's why you have this broadcast, is to say, I'm reaching deeper, Lord, for you. I want to make sense of this. There are 500,000 kids in that foster system. It desperately needs reform. It desperately needs somebody to say, you know, I'm going to take this mission on, on my own. It's kind of like me. After leaving welfare, and I'm like, I'm taking this on by my own. Because to set people into 4,000 housing projects with with 5 million women and 9 million children, and, and, and that's their lot, and that's it, and that's what we see for them, and the best answer we have is sterilize them, send them a right. little check on the person 50, it's unacceptable. So what we need are more people that say, Lord, what can I do? 
Give me one opportunity in my little space to do something for you. And we take that, you stay focused on it, and then you watch him build out that mission. Right. Hey, and I know know you got to go here in a little bit, but before you go... I want to I want to bring on one more person who would like to talk to you, and that is Elaine Riddick, and she's a dear friend of mine. I I know you know her, Elaine. How are you today? I am fine. How did you know I was listening in? Hi, Star. Hey. Hi, hi, everybody. I I I am lying here, and I am just enjoying the show. I must tell you, Star, I believe in a lot of things that you're saying. And I, too, um, was a victim of the eugenics. I know you already know that. And I have been waiting all my life since I've heard about you. I have been wondering, when am I going to get to meet this lady? You know, and it's such a pleasure just listening to you. And, yes, I, too, after my uh, ordeal with the um, North Carolina Eugenics Board, and after I had gotten over, you know, the pain and the hurt is still there somewhat, but I, too, I went out there, I asked the Lord, what can I do to help um, uh, help our women? And, you know, it just fell right in my hand, and I am so overwhelmed. Now I have um, two groups of women. I'm working in the Depo-Pavera area, excuse me, trying to educate our women that Depo is bad and it kills um, of course, I, I don't know how, if you know anything about it, but Depo-Provera is um, it's a birth, con- birth control contraceptive that's really, really deadly. It causes cancer, ovarian, uterine, uh, um, liver, kidneys, cancers. It causes it's, it's heart attacks, diabetes. And they are constantly forcing this drug on our women, and our women don't didn't even know why they were becoming ill. Right. So I had to sort of like educate them on their birth control. See, the system is trying to uh, harm us in any way they can, and normally it's through our reproductive system. So just hearing you talk, you know, I am just overwhelmed. <laughs> It, bless you. And it's it, it it's our hour for. Uh, I've been saying of late, uh, after the shock that even people would reelect the Barack Obama administration and Barack Obama himself, um, uh, that that he's actually become one of the best things that happened to us as a country because we were dying a slow death. We were like that frog in that kettle. And the water was getting warmer, and we actually thought we were now in a spa. And now we start seeing little bubbles, and it was getting a little warm, but we've convinced ourselves um, that it's just a warmer spa. And what this administration did was they turned up the heat, and it began to boil immediately, and that frog jumped out. Thank God for the tea party. Thank God for those that are mm-hmm. now understanding what time it is that the left didn't start this war overnight, the war of three wars, actually the war on religion, the war on marriage, the war on poverty, all at the same time to get us to where we're now scattered and putting out these little fires. Uh, you're absolutely right. Birth control reverses. Controlling birth is one of the challenges uh, amongst especially Protestants 
have bought this lie and the Hobby Lobby case, I think, has opened others' eyes to say, you know, maybe we ought to rethink even controlling birth. Maybe we ought to rethink um, how we look at life, humanity, our role here on this side of eternity, and what relationship we have to the, uh, to the eternity. I mean, there are people amidst us that after even one pregnancy, uh, they, they, and they abort. They cannot have their children at all. After, like you're saying, after just buying that lie that they should be sexually active um, within marriage and or without, but control what offspring would come from that union, we are rethinking. We're in a new day to rethink a lot of the philosophies that we bought into. So the answer is to go back to Scripture and see what God said. He told us to be fruitful and multiply. He told us he would take care of our need. So we have to believe that. Um, but should you pass that information? Yes. Should you yes. get small settings of young women that you can m- touch their lives? Absolutely. Should you think that that's not significant? Let me remind you, I believe it was either Mother Teresa or someone near her that said, if you touch one, you've touched all. If you've changed one, you've changed the world. So it is significant. It's not about going out and getting massive mountains. It's about those right in front of us in this immediate position, the little role that we can play in their lives. Exactly. So so another thing is having to educate women about, you know, their wounds, you know, and say, you know, if God intended for you to abort your babies or for you to become sterile or whatever, you know, he and, and I tell him, I said, well, he blessed your womb. As you said, he said, go out there and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He blessed the woman's womb. He didn't mean for the woman to do these things that right. man takes is forcing on them. Right, but he also told us to have sexual activity in the context of marriage. So what you have to do is also sell that consistent message because you don't want a bunch of people out there having ten children by ten different people. What we have exactly. to do is bring all of the messages together. The damage there is the welfare state that rewards people to have children outside of marriage. I'm working right now on housing reform because we, 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 we concentrate poverty and force them in these environments to where they get paid to continue this lawless activity. So exactly. we find our hill and we work on it. But are you saying it right? Yes. Are you teaching them right? Yes. And what the basic point to this is to let them know they own themselves. Your responsibility stops with you. The first step out of poverty is to recognize self-government, to understand that you have an obligation to your neighbor to be self-sufficient, to be responsible with every choice that you make. That's fundamental. And until they get that, there is no need of moving on to second, second uh, okay. any information. They have to understand, they know you do have control over this because you can make your choices. You don't have to go lay down with everybody that asks you. Uh, and that message is clear in Scripture. You marry before you become sexually active. And in that union, you let the Lord bless you, whatever that is going to be, barren and or not. If barren, then that means that he has other things for you to do with those energies that perhaps you would be raising the next generation. Not, then yes, you have a role to play in the lives of those youth to make sure that they also understand first principles. First principles of you have an obligation. And in order to understand obligation, you've got to have a religious people. Our founders knew it. You cannot have people just making up the rules as they go along. And, and as they said, that fundamental foundational moral code of religion is rooted in the Judeo-Christian heritage, and that's why there are some that have to work in that 
little fire, if you will, that the left has started to try to destroy every symbol of the Lord in our society. Everyone has to find their part. We are under attack. We're in a terrible war for the heart and soul of of our nation. Um, And and as Abraham Lincoln said when he was confronted with a similar situation where the culture was just out of control, he said we can't do this anymore. He looked in the scripture. He read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and said a house divided against itself can't stand. That's where we are. We can't be both anymore. We are going to either be secular and socialist or we are going to be biblical and free. And those are the choices, and that's why you have activists that are making sure that we have a political environment that understand that half the country wants to be biblical and free. Right, right. Hey, Star, um, I I appreciate you um, coming on. Thanks. I know, um, I know you hear that phone beeping because on Tuesdays, this is what I do. I spend they stack right. my sit and talk on the radio and, and then blog, right. and I want to try to be with any and everyone I can. And so we organize in my office that Tuesdays is my day. I, I, what am I, number six or seven right now? Right. But you're right. The next one's calling now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So God bless was, you and for this opportunity. Well, when you see me about, you better come tap me and say, I'm the one who's on air with you, because I do get right. out. <laughs> yeah, um, I think Alvita is going to make sure of that. <laughs> well, good, good. Right. I see Alvita very, very often. And so one day our paths will cross in the natural, uh, and we'll be able to hug and kiss and then just continue this war. And, and Thomas, you're, you're part of this, and I just thank you for right. this opportunity. Right, Star, but before you go, I want you to share with everyone where they could donate to Urban Cure, because, folks, let me tell you something. This woman, when I met her last year, she gave me a big hug, and that was after someone telling me that she's kind of mean. <laughs> but, but, Star, you it was a blessing to meet you, and I definitely, for all you who are listening, if you can give a little bit to Urban Cure, Start tell them where they can donate to your organization because it is it is great soil to sow a seed into. So go ahead Urban, before you go. UrbanCure.org. Go on my website. Please sign up for my weekly column. You'll get it in your inbox if you put your name and your email. Uh, UrbanCure.org. Once a week you'll get an ask with some of the work we're doing. You'll get an opportunity to participate there. I appreciate it. Um, UrbanCure.org. If you don't remember UrbanCure.org, then just Google Star Parker. Ignore all that hate stuff. Look for me. Uh, We're trying to do everything we can to be the first step on Google. Uh, and then you can donate to urbancure.org. And for those who mean, you know what, I do have a wall. You've got to admit, in fact, there are many around me because of the level of hate that comes in now uh, that think I should even travel with a bodyguard uh, or right. bulletproof vest or whatever. So, yeah, I, there is a wall that I kind of um, have to put up. To be, when people are, right. my daughter's an actress. Her fans, she's a Disney actress, so when her fans come up to her, they're 9 to 12 years old, and you can tell, and they're like, oh, are you? They call her Mrs. Davenport. She knows they're friendly, and they just want an autograph and a photo. When people come to me and say, are you Star Parker? I've got to have a wall because I'm not sure. Are you you strapped, or are you going to give me a hug? You're going to give me a hug, or are you going to punch me out? So, so yeah, I kind of have that arena. I mean, that error, if you will, and people are passing that. But at the end of the day, you picked it up. I am uh, just a person who God 
looked down and saw in a little dark hole, confused in all that was around me and should have spent the rest of my life in jail based on things that I did do. But he was merciful enough on me to say, get up, I've got other plans mm-hmm. for you. And I'm working those Amen. plans. Amen. Star, thank you so much, and God bless you. And I hope to see you in September at the um, at the Value, Value Voter. Voter Summit. I will and be there. Walk up to me again and say, hey, this is me, and I will be there. All right. I will be speaking thank again, and I look forward thank to seeing you. Thomas. God bless you yes. all. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Hey, Raquel, Babette, and... Let's see. Raquel, you still there? I'm still here. <laughs> I think we lost Babette. <laughs> Babette, where are you? <laughs> oh, what, what am I going to do with her? Um, we were just going to have a, we just, we were just going to kind of talk for the, for the rest of the time. I'm probably going to end the show at 730, but we were just going to, kind of talk about some of the things that Star um, had talked about. Babette has always talked talk to me about you, and, you know, she told me you used to, are you still write for, do you still write for a newspaper, or you used to write for a newspaper? Oh, no, I occasionally write, uh, I occasionally write, uh, that's about it, I just write op-ed oh, okay. pieces. Mm-hmm. As, okay. as they as they come up and I do a little bit of speaking, a little bit of this and that, all for the all for the cause. Whenever whenever I'm called to duty, I'm in. <laughs> right. Well, just kind of just kind of give us give us your sure. That's your that's stuff. not a problem, Thomas. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's not a problem. Uh, just so you know, I'm from Illinois. I am an elected uh, township trustee uh, okay. in Wheatland Township, uh, which is in which is in uh, which is in the uh, western suburbs, uh, kind of uh, along uh, between, somewhere between Aurora and Plainfield, Illinois. And uh, you know, so I started out uh, back in um, started out back in 2010 with Cedra Crenshaw. I don't know if uh, anybody remembers Cedra. Cedra ran for state senate, and the Democrats. Uh, she was a black woman, and uh, she was very much supported by the Tea Party. And uh, she became a media hit because the Democrats tried to get her off. They were afraid of her. They, you know, they felt that, uh-oh, what do we do now? We like to play the race card. We can't play the race card with a black woman who's a Republican. So I started off working for her campaign, and I just never stopped. It just kept going. So whenever <laughs> I've done every single election, that is um, presidential, uh, midterm elections, consolidated elections, every single one since. 2010. I've uh, been involved. I've uh, done various things um, as far as consulting, and each time it moves up, each time I get better, each time I'm a little less naive. Uh, so it's been uh, it's been really a great it's been a great ride, and I've had uh, I've met some great people along the way. There are lots of uh, you know very involved, and I started off very involved with the Tea Party. So my and I've always been by the way I've always been a Republican. So this isn't like, you know, Barack Obama came in 2008 and I decided, well, you know, all of us, you know, I you know, I think I'm going to turn the Republican. No, I've always been that way. When I was Obama running for Senate, I, I was literally having a fit. And uh, it's just, 
<laughs> just keep it. <laughs> I've been I've been railing against those guys, and, and since since way before then. So um, it's been it's really been kind of an interesting an interesting path for me, and it's kind of funny how uh, what you know getting to what Star said. It's been it's, she's right. You, know, you have your path, and you know God has plans for you, and you stay on that path. But one thing I want to say, Thomas, is that your story is compelling, and I, I feel like if I don't say it now, I'll forget to say it before we stop talking. But your story is absolutely compelling. I would like to one day hear your entire story. It's the first I'm hearing of it, and I, I was just absolutely floored. And you know, my heart goes just goes out to you and everything that you've experienced. By the way, well. I'm one. I'm here. I'm one of those people. I hate talking about myself because you know I look at my life and and folks. I'm just confessing here. I look at my life and then I look at some of the things that I see other people have done, and I and I'm questioning myself. What have I actually, you know, what have I accomplished? What have I done to make a difference? And 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 sometimes I just I just grieve because I I love this nation so much. I love people so much that I that I want to make a difference. And you know, I um you know I'm getting ready to reach a a, a milestone birthday, um, certain decade four. And next month, and, and I and I think, okay, what have I done to make a difference? Because, you know, I I love people. I don't ask nothing in return. I just want to see the smiles on people's faces, because I've been blessed to to know phenomenal phenomenal people, and 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 it gives me joy to see them successful, and I strive for that same thing. But when you deal with health issues, because I struggle with health, and folks, like I said, I'm just I'm telling a little bit about myself. I struggle with health issues every day, but yet and still I want to work, knowing full well that I'm putting, my, I'm putting myself in jeopardy because I don't want to be government dependent. I don't want to be on disability even though the issues that I am dealing with says you should be on that. I don't want that. And so I'm torn both ways because I just, I want to be a part of the solution. I don't want to add to the problem. And so that's, yes, yes, Can I I say one thing? Absolutely, your mic's open. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I dropped early I got a new phone here Raquel, Thomas doesn't like talking about himself He's very modest He is one of the nicest persons I know And he just gives and gives And Thomas, you are part of the this, this solution And you are doing your thing You, Letitia, Melissa um, You guys have your blog talk Letitia helps you with this one You do your pro-life show you bring people together through this show you inform others of folks they may not have known anything about and even Mm -hmm. if they did hear about them or read about them or a book social media 
it's different when you can actually hear that person, such as like now, Star Parker on the radio, compared to if you had seen her on Fox News. They, through your blog talk, they can call in and get the opportunity that a major uh, radio syndication may not have the chance to get to them with all the commercial breaks and so forth. You pump out the news and info as to what's going on with all these different patriot groups and what's going on. You are do- you're doing more than a lot of other folks even bother to do. So, you know, I know you think, well, I can't, you know, I'm not out there, I'm not doing this. Everyone has a place and a role and God tapped you on this shoulder and said, you have the gift for connecting. Connectors are so important in the movement. They really are. Without the connectors, we all be running around scrambling and going, well, who is this? I never heard of you. The variety of people you've had on your show is just amazing, from Jack Cashel to Nick Searcy to, I mean, I can't even name them all, Ryan Bomberger. From Hollywood to Washington, so I just want to. And that's to major, that and that's major exposure for people who've never uh, heard from these people or heard of the people or that you have on your show. That's a big deal. We need to hear people like Nick Cersei's message and Ryan Bomberger's message. That that's very important. And just so that you know, I I went through the same thing when I turned 30. I'm, I've already turned 40. But I, I went through the same thing when I turned 30, and I, I'll never forget. My brother came, and my brother was 10 years older than I was, and uh, he and his birthday is the following month, or, or actually maybe two weeks after mine. And so when I turned 30, he was about to turn 40. He goes, how does it feel turning 30? I'm like, oh, it's the worst. I remember laying on the couch depressed, like, is this all my life amounted to? And um, and just so that you know, you'll you'll when just when you feel as though you haven't done much and that you haven't gone as far as you'd like to go, um, something clicks. Somebody lets you know what you what you mean to them. And, and what your presence means in their lives. If you affect one person's life, you affect many other people's lives. And I believe um, uh, Star, Star mentioned that, you know, when she talked about uh, Mother Teresa. So if you affected one person's life, you've, you've, done more than, um, you've done more than your share. Right. No worries. And, and you know, and it, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me because... Um, you know, I, my life, one of the things that I learned or I was told that you try to make a difference in other people's lives. And, you know, you don't, you don't focus on your own self. You don't focus on your own problems, which is a fallacy because if you really want to make a difference in someone's life, you can't walk around with unforgiveness in your heart and that kind of thing. And that's what I did, even though I was trying to help others. And and so the biggest struggle that I have with is when the Lord tells me to do something pertaining to me and I have to break down and ask for help. But you know what? I'm going to do it, and it's going to be out there in radio land for all to hear. 
as I said, next month, I'm turning 40 years old. And um, when I was little, one of the things, one of the gifts that God gave me was an ability to design. And when I talk about designing, I'm talking about designing houses, buildings. And that was my first love. Architecture was my first love. I went on, I graduated with a degree in business, but I never got away from my first love. And like so many people, I've been I've been just trying to find me a job. I decided that irregardless of my of my health, I'm going to try to find me a job. So I was looking. I applied as a um, teacher's assistant. I didn't get it. I don't think I got it because, for one, I didn't lie about my health. I told the truth. And I told them that I couldn't lift 50 pounds, which I can't. And... um, I am, anyway, what I decided to do, I have an opportunity to um, go back for 16 weeks, take a class, Revit Architectural Drafting and Design. I don't have to take it for credit. I just get to take it for, um, for job training. And so... What I'm about to ask is, um, I don't want to do it, but it's what the Lord put on my heart to do. And I'm asking all my friends out there in Radio Land and those who, who consider hearing this later, would you all consider sponsoring me as a birthday wish to help me go through this class for 16 weeks? Because after the 16 weeks, I will be able to get a job as an architectural drafting drafter and designer. Something, the thing that I've always loved that I walked away from. And um, that would, to me, that would be the greatest birthday gift that I ever had, just to be able to do this class. Um, the class is $345. Uh, which is the in-district um, fee because of where I'm at. If I was out of state, it would be $300 per credit hour. But So I've been blessed in that area. So there, I did it, and I didn't want to do that, but if Lord put that hey, on Thomas, my heart. Do you have a fundraiser up for that? Um, I'm going to be creating that in a little bit, but I hadn't did it yet because I wasn't even sure if I was going to even do it. Because you guys, you have to understand one thing. This is scary to me. I don't like asking for myself. I would rather starve than to ask for help. And I know that's prideful, but I, I, anyway, this isn't about me. Um, 
just that's just a well, little bit. When you get it out, let me know. We'll be glad to help you out. It's about Patriot helping Patriots out, and you know, I send the fundraiser out, and everyone who can give whatever they can, even a little bit, makes a difference. As you and I both know, we fundraised right. in the past ourselves for good causes, and I'm all about someone who's trying to get themselves out there so that they can do something and, you know, self-reliance and ability. And sometimes to get being self-reliant, you have to have a little help yourself, and then in the future you pay it for it. So I'm all about that. Right. And that and, and that's, it, it's hard for me because if I could be a blessing to someone else without having to receive or ask for help myself, that's right up my alley, and it always has been. Mm-hmm. And and it's because I love this nation. Folks, I tried to lie. Years ago, I tried to lie to get into the military. That's how much I love this nation, and I'm not ashamed to say that. And, and, and we're in a battle. I want to be able to earn a, earn a high income where I can pay taxes. I want to pay taxes because I would feel like I'm making a contribution. And uh, uh, okay. <laughs> let's. Uh, well, <laughs> I know we might be the point, Thomas. <laughs> Thanks. But actually, Thomas, you know what? Your story is reminding me of something I was thinking about today. I, I'm trying to get a friend of mine to write. Yeah, write a story or give me the story, I'll write it, you know, put it in the blog and and put it out there. She's similar to you. She's struggled. She's fought throughout her life. She's been off and on on um, welfare. She prefers to be off and would work, but then she would have some sort of tragedy. And, And I'm serious. When I say tragedies, these are tragedies or accidents. And you know what she would do? She would reinvent herself every time and say, I can no longer do this because she had to be able to lift 75 pounds for a job. She had the job uh-huh. doing it, had an accident. Yeah, one of the carrier services working in their warehouse. And then she had an accident, had a critical break, couldn't do that anymore. Well, her love was always cooking. But, you know, she had worked fast food um, places and so forth and, so she took some little prep chef and culinary courses and got a job as a line, you know, I guess basically they would call them a prep chef and, you know, setting up banquets and so forth and salad bar. Loved that job. Had a tragedy, had an accident. But yet she still keeps fighting. And when I talk to her sometimes, she's like, I just feel like sometimes I'm never going to be able to stay ahead. And I said, but at least you're out there doing what so many others won't do. It's so much easier for them to sit at home. And some of the people do want to get off of welfare and, and then um, federally funded a taxpayer dollars. But they'll say, I don't know where to start. I don't have this or that. Man, you know, your story along with your fundraiser and, and her story, that's motivation to people. Those people who, well, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. I, I'm not, I don't have a medical condition. I'm just lost and not sure where to go. So that's what I, you're, you were reminding me of thinking about because there's so many out there now that need to hear this story, you know. 
They want to blame the, the Republicans for taking away and cutting, but they don't really see that the Democrats are enslaving them and making them um, rely on things that are supposed to be a hand up. Right. And that's and that's what I want. I want a hand up. I don't need a handout because you know what? I know what I am. I know what I am capable of. And so I just I just want I just want that opportunity. Um you know, I just want that opportunity to be able to um Get a, I just want to accomplish something that I enjoy doing. You know, yes, I enjoy my business degree. That's an accomplishment. My true love is architectural drafting, you know. And it's one of the things, when you think about it, it's like um, sometimes in life you lose things in terms of, you know, your worldly belongings. You lose them because of circumstances and that sort of thing. Well, that's getting ready to happen to me again, which that's fine. But I want to be a catalyst. A, a, um, I just want to be at a point where I can do something for someone that brings a smile to their face that that kid that can make them feel like that they that they are welcome or that they that they are appreciated. That's what I want to do with my life. That's what I want my legacy to be. And I know well, I'm say, think well, you're I'm, doing some of that so far already and we would love to uh Many folks out there probably would love to help you with your dreams. They just had to know about it. And Thomas, this is that I have to go. I have to actually. I'm right. supposed to be meeting Raquel. We have a local meeting out here with oh, our. Okay. You know, we're forming our Frederick Douglass Foundation. Uh, but thank oh, you cool. so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. You know, you're my big sister, and Raquel. It's good. It was good to hear you. Just hear you articulate your viewpoint because Babette talks very highly of you. So uh, I talk very I talk very highly of Babette too and I put I, you know and uh people think that she's a secret ninja. I'm like, don't you don't want to even go there with Babette. She's dangerous. Watch out. Just kidding. She's awesome. <laughs> I think I have her on superhuman power uh myself so um, but it, and I've met so many wonderful people through Bevette. I'm just very grateful. Thomas, people put people in your path for for many different reasons, and it's definitely been a blessing meeting Bevette and, and yourself, and you know, and all the people that I've met along the way. Despite who, you know, no matter who it was that introduced me to them, it's just been a really great ride, and it's going to continue to be so. So, um, you know, you stay hopeful and stay positive, and uh, you would be amazed. You would you would be amazed at uh, what all of this will come to for you, and I just I'm I'm gonna pray for you as well. I appreciate that. All right, you two little ladies, you guys have a good night and knock them dead up there in Illinois. You gotta you gotta whip your Illinois GOP into shape there. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. We're showing them the light. Thank you, Thomas, for having us on. All right. You guys have a good night. Oh, wow. This show, folks, was really powerful. Um, I hate telling my story, but, you know, sometimes you have to do what you got to do. Star was a blessing. And just to kind of give you guys another heads up, I'm working I'm working on it, but um, sometimes in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have, uh, as my guest, both uh, Pastor Rafael Cruz, who is the father of Senator Ted Cruz, and I'm going to try to possibly have them both on at the same time to kind of tell their story. So that that's working. That's what I'm working on. I've been corresponding back and forth with his um, with his scheduler. But thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Um, to all those of you who are listening in the art, who will listen in the archives, I want to say love you. God bless you. And we have to keep fighting. Because if we don't fight, who will? And with that, I am America going to take us home.
You have been listening to True Radio Presents the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight, and we will be back next week for another episode of the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed.